Hi, I'm Nikki Tapper and this is Representation Matters, conversations around diversity in the workplace podcast series by The Equal Group. Bringing stories, insights and learnings around optimising equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Denise Massey has been the Managing Director of the Energy Innovation Centre since its foundation back in 2008. She led the company from a startup to successful not-for-profit business and now runs and manages a growing team of technical and commercial specialists. A highly successful communicator, leader and businesswoman, Denise's strengths lie in organisational leadership, cross-sector collaboration, strategic planning and development. I start off by asking her, who is Denise Massey? Well, Denise Massey is a woman in her early 50s who lives in North Wales. So, and, and, and in all honesty, and great surprise to me that I have always lived in North Wales. Great plans when I was younger that I was going to travel the world, but it always brought me back to the side of a mountain in North Wales. So I have two children in their, uh, two, yeah, children in their 20s and both starting on their own careers now. So, um, yeah, that's me. And does that then, you know, say that Denise was always then a home bird, was always a, you like to be around people that you love and cherish. What were you like at school? Was that, you know, you, you said at one stage, I thought I'd travel the world, but what were you like at school? What gave you that idea that you would have traveled the world in the first place? Yeah, I think... Um, so I'm from um, a big extended Catholic family. And so we were, and actually the, 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 the faith as growing up was really, really important, quite central to it. So I think that's what instilled in me um, the, the drive around social justice and inequality. And so that was so much a part of our growing up. And, um, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, I really like people. And, and, I, and it's a great sense of belonging where you live, where you grew up. So it's great. So I can go into the village and you know people and their histories. And there's a, especially now in COVID, there's a real camaraderie and a great strength of community here. What I'm delighted in is that the, we've got a, a community shop and both children have been away um, at university and things for many years, have both come home and worked in the community shop this this summer and have really um, reintegrated back into the community. So um, it has been a great strength, I think, on one hand for them, for our family and for me, living, you know, living where I grew up, albeit. So I, and I've just stuck to travelling as part of my holidays. <laughs> so there is something, and I, I'm liking what I've heard there already about the social injustice yeah. and that I suppose then will speak to me about your journey then through school and then your early part of career was that was that some of your earlier jobs was it around how do I help the average person who cannot speak for themselves that's what I'm I'm sensing I've heard so far Yes, I think at home there was um, a great sense of how you, you know, how you support people. I can hear my mum's words, less fortunate than yourself. So we used to fast on Fridays and you would put money into, you know, the charity box that would go into church and about supporting. It was um, CAFAD, which is Catholic Aid for Overseas Development. 
And so there was a great sense in the family about supporting that right back to my grandparents. So everybody was part of the fabric, really, of the family that we grew that I grew up, grew up in. Yeah. And then again in school. But what was I like in school? I probably had far too much energy for a classroom. <laughs> and I constantly wanted to develop and change things and could always thought there was a better way of doing something. So probably it was quite difficult to teach. <laughs> So um, finished my A-levels and then went into work, didn't go on to university. So um, I went straight into work and I went straight into work at social services. And that absolutely aligned with, you know, my whole need about growing up and making a difference. And it was always about making a positive difference. So social services um, really suited my, you know, my personal values and I was really fortunate because I worked for social services for 20 years and I worked in an amazing authority, had absolutely great leaders who were driven about trying to change the world and trying to change the communities we lived in for the better. And it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And it was, I would say it was like the golden years, really, because we had really inspirational leaders mm. who were out for out for making the world better not making themselves better so it wasn't about ego and creating wealth it was actually about changing yeah changing the world around us and for the better and about supporting um supporting you know our people within our community who who couldn't who didn't have access or didn't have the same privileges that, that we'd grown up with and, and that landed us in the positions that we were in and so there then, how did that come about that you ended up being around energy? And, and, and you know, because I'm hearing that you should have probably gone for MP, love. You should have become an MP um, or a counsellor in that sense. And there you are now. You've just said there you are. How many years working in social services? And then you've ended up working within energy. So how did that career come about? So in social services, so I was I was working very much about creating um, social healthcare systems. So it was starting to work with developing the private social care market, and then obviously then we had to. So there was natural natural synergies with health. So I started to work in partnership with health. Then there were natural synergies regionally about how we set standards for care. So just growing this uh, network about trying to improve services um, was really very, very natural. We're obviously, it was always about getting best value as well because we had a real, really strong commercial imperative because we had to keep costs down. So delivering as much care as we could to um, as many people as possible, really. And so I suppose where I arrived at moving across into energy was I'd started to think about the cultures of the organization what made me motivated me really because I was probably late 30s by now and was really starting to think I can't you know I didn't want to keep going on this same trajectory because it was really we were getting more and more difficult actually because I'd say that the political agenda was starting to really impact now on um, on frontline services so I was trying to think about how what would I do to create a bigger impact? And, and so I, I suppose I arrived at point thinking, I probably thought I'd move into the third sector. So working in a smaller charity where I could lead a smaller charity to have a greater impact. And I suppose it was when I was at that stage of that transition, thinking about what my next step would be. But I always knew it was going to be a smaller organisation that I could have 
that could be agile and we could really respond and and so I was approached and asked to apply for a job in energy with this concept of um, an energy innovation centre. And it sounds quite, quite disparate and quite separate from social care. But actually, when you looked at the journey that the energy sector was going on, was really similar to the one that's just happened in social care. So say 25 years ago in social care, if you had mental health problem or you had a physical disability or some challenge, you would be sent to a centre to receive services. So then you'd end up with these massive assets and people had to fit in with the assets that were available within, you know, within um, the social care infrastructure, if you like. And then my whole time working there over that 25 years, um, it moved from being asset-based so center-based to very much personalized care so now what you see in social care is that people are given personalized budgets and that they they buy their care from a system that has to respond to the individual that's the ethos of it and actually if you look at energy it's exactly the same things happening so what we've got is we've got a monolithic infrastructure that has been there for you know 60 70 years and it has been there and it has been supplying energy any which way in the way it always has. And if you now look about what the regulator is doing, the regulator is now saying, particularly now in this, in this um, uh, regulatory period, they're saying you now, energy companies, have to now respond to the most vulnerable in our society. Now, ultimately, if the industry can respond to the most vulnerable in society, they are really turning now, they're turning, um, it's turning the tanker really, so it becomes a really customer-centric, and ultimately it's about how the customer, customer wants to use the energy system, not the energy system just, you know, delivering what it's always done. So it's doing a very similar uh, 180-degree well, turn really. So, and I think what was quite interesting about setting up something like the Energy Innovation Centre, it was trying, the aim was to bring in small players into this, um, what was very internally referenced and perceived by some as almost a closed shop. And so it was, how do we open? How do we start to open up this um, industry? Once you jump into the industry, oh, Nikki, I have to tell you, it's like the best kept secret because the complexity that goes on in there is phenomenal. And the engineers that run it and work it are super duper bright and really lovely, great people who keep the lights on, keep the glass, gas flowing without you and I even having to think about it. And of course, what they're trying to do is to protect that so they can deliver one of the most reliable services that in the world you know so globally the UK energy system is really up there so like 99.9 percent reliable hugely reliable and I gather but you know when you say that actually it's interesting that there's been a, a couple of adverts recently that I spotted I'm sure many of us have seen where you are watching um, a particular company deep deep sea diving to lay cables under the sea and um, and they're showing, you know, from a, a simple home through to a power station, which again, you're right. I don't think we, as the end user, ever have really registered. Oh my God, you mean somebody has to go right down <laughs> how many hundred thousand feet to yeah. let the cable so that I can get the electric or get the gas supply that I'm currently have? So, mm. 
you it was interesting you said there that UK energy industry is one of the top ones across the world. Mm-hmm. The people that work in it are key. They are super bright or intelligent. And so that leads me then into more of what you were saying about the community you came from as a younger woman yeah. into now working with this world <laughs> that has this range of people in it a range of people that represent the world and a range of people that will also have to deal with issues around equality, mm-hmm. inclusion. Mm-hmm. Have they, how do they deal when they see somebody else get the job over them or their gender, their sexuality come into play? So in light of all of that, how is the, you with the centre beginning to now tap into those people's needs? Again, as you said, we would just have not even thought there's anybody there doing all of the digging and the laying of the cables. Yeah, I think what, what's happening, and I, so I joined the industry in 12 years ago, and it, and it, and it is, uh, with no mistake, a male-dominated uh, industry, and still is. And that it goes, goes back to, you know, uh, well, all the levels of, without, you know, with, if you look... Um, it goes back to anyway we're talking about institutionalized racism institutionalized sexism but it's it's to do with obviously what women were and children were studying years ago and and we still have that challenge now about the industry's doing all it can to bring women into the sector but it is still uh predominantly led by white male men and what we do what we what we know is that the industry will attract the people are attracted to by the people that they see. So actually white men are far more likely to jump in because it's led by white men. In the same way, the EIC, so the Energy Innovation Centre, because of me being a woman, by the very virtue of me being a woman, we've got a really strong female um, workforce. And I, and I, I do think it's that, uh, so the, that unconscious messaging of what it says to people. So people, so we have, yeah, we have about, four or five now female engineers but when I first started they were all men because they were the only people I could attract and now we're not doing positive discrimination in any shape nor form but actually we do have a lot of female engineers and amazing male engineers as well goes without saying but it's um so that is the industry we have and so we do have a challenge and we have a challenge on our hands about quality diversity and inclusion and it's really interesting for me. So it does go back to Nikki, you're right about my need that the whole sense of um, social injustice, because just when you think by the virtue of your sex or by the virtue of the color of your skin means there is a prejudice against you in the city, you know, in, in society. And I know, you know, we see it on the news and we hear about it all the time, but actually if, if individuals just stand back and think just by the virtue of your gender or by the virtue of your of your, the color of your skin that you're treated differently and actually you don't you are not you don't enjoy equality that is it's it's bonkers really isn't it when it's just mad and I suppose one of the things I find really hard now is my daughter's 22 and just going into work and I see she deals with the level of same same prejudice that I dealt with 30 odd years ago and it's it's infuriating that whilst we are making strides, we are not moving fast enough. And I am massively impatient. So, and what I think has been really interesting about the um, 
Black Lives Matter movement is, uh, is there's almost been, um, and this is, I'm talking from my perspective really, um, a, a, a real step change now in, not in everybody, but in people questioning themselves, you know, and about their own role. And I, and I know my thinking has changed and Lord knows my children were coming home from um, university and I had me on the racks on all sorts of stuff. But um, I, I do feel as a real sense of change. And there's a great book called Why I Don't Talk to uh, White People About Race. And that for me was just, when I read that, I was just a, an eye opener. And actually, as a woman, I, I felt there's great synergies there in, in terms of, you know, sexism and racism about how we are treated and how the subliminal, you know, the unconscious messaging that comes out and about understanding about where it starts and whose problem it is. And it was really interesting because I think reading that book and BLM has really made me see I, as a white woman, am actually part of the problem. And that, and it's, it's, um, and so it's about education. And I say to the team in work, it's the right thing to do. If it's the right thing to do, we just do it because I, you know, yeah. and it's the right thing to do. And so with the, with that being said, that it's the right thing to do, there you are in this really innovative center, working around energy, being a businesswoman in your own right. You're a leader in your own right. How can then, with your personal awareness being, being woken up, I could say, and you're more, you know, you've run around, oh my gosh, actually, I'm, I'm, I, I've always wanted socially um, to fight for social justice. And now here I am part of the journey. What are you going to offer or what can be offered through the work that you're doing to support the mindset change of your team and then hopefully impact that wider sector? Because if the wider sector is, as you said, predominantly still white male, twenty twenty is a year that everyone's going to remember. Yeah, but we want to remember it with those positive aspects coming through. So, how does that work for you now? I think that one of the great things about COVID is is actually really, I think it has um, sort of awakened people's uh, recognition that we are part of a community and actually all need each other. So it does go away from this whole concept that as individuals we survive, but we're not, we are part of communities and we are, as human beings, we're network creatures, we need to work together and, and we rely on each other. And so I think that I, I do, I hope we do see a broader change. So a broader change in people's awareness, if it's nothing, you know, environmentally. So we've, we've seen changes in people's behaviours in the environmental about sustainability and net zero, which is so, so important. And it will need us all to work together to crack that one. And I think one of the one of the things as well about working on things like uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion is we know don't we? we know if you just look from um, gender perspective, what we, what we learned many years ago was that uh, statistically, if you had more women on boards, actually the productivity and the efficiency and everything else of those businesses increased by thirty percent. So there's been that whole drive to get women on boards. Mm. Obviously not very successful, but, you know, we are moving in the right direction, but clearly not fast enough. And then now what we know, and this is what the equal group have brought out, is actually 
um, looking statistically that actually the greater the diversity in your business, the greater the efficiency and the productivity. And it, it just makes sense. And so what, what the thing now is, is there's no silver bullet about cure, you know, about um, changing people's mindsets. But what we can do is if you start to use the data, which going back to what the equal group are doing is identifying the data and using the data, particularly in this industry, because uh, a lot of the people who work in the industry, they are of their training and their mindset is they, they will work to data. So it's not, so if we can give them the data that actually demonstrates that uh, productivity and efficiency and creativity and innovation is better, the greater the uh, diversity of the workforce, the, 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 the better the outcome, then it's those sorts of things that will begin to, I believe, begin to, to increase the pace of that change in mindset and ultimately the, the change we're looking for. Yeah, because it's a bit like the film Moneyball. I don't know if you've ever seen that film Moneyball with Brad Pitt um, based on a true story of an ex-baseball player that got there was some geek who he knew, who he got to know. I can't remember how their relationship came about, but he was a stats man and proved that um, you could have the best players, but there were certain traits that they had that statistically you could prove. If he pitched the ball in this direction, you were more likely, you know, 90% of the time to get a home run. Um, yeah. And it appears to be, yeah, very similar that for certain mindsets to be changed, i.e. predominantly white men, mm -hmm. they are more likely because they've been in that world of stats and show me the figures, you know, it's a bit like, yes. show me the money, show me the yes. money. <laughs> they are more willing to change. So your role in that journey then now having been a, made aware by what's gone on in this year so far, but also yes, the work of what the, the equal group are doing with their, un, their unconscious and bias training. How do you lead that now to help change one or two stereotypically white male men that say, show me the stats? So what we can do, because the EIC now is, is relatively established within uh, the industry, what we're able to do with working with the equal group is as a startup business, is to give them a platform, to give them a platform to actually um, be heard, to be able to share the you know, the success that they're, they're achieving already and actually giving them the introductions into some of the big companies. So I know one of the companies they're working with at the moment is Northern Gas Networks, who are very forward thinking. And what they recognise, that company recognises, is it needs uh, that cultural a cultural change within the business, not just around EDI, but in every which way. And so it is working really hard to uh, change the business mindset. And um, EDI is part of it. And actually, so... Uh, Mac and the team are already working with NGN and what we know is with these big energy companies is uh, they do watch what each other's doing and so um, you know success in one starts to it, it we start to get a domino effect in people because they are willing to learn from each other so that's one way the other thing is we've got um, we are working with utility week live so one of the one of the things the the EIC because it's innovation um, what we we know uh, is that there's great in order to have innovation pulled through. So our job is to try and get the small innovators getting their innovations into and deployed in these big network businesses. And what we know is the the speed of which these innovations are pulled through and adopted uh, is impacted greatly on the cultures of the businesses. 
And so it's about having that open mindset and that open mindset for uh, innovation is very similar to the same open mindset you'd need for, you know, to include equality and diversity. It is just about an open inquiry mindset. And so what we what we do as well is working with the businesses on cultural change. And so the EDI is part of that cultural change. It's it's part of the same uh, mindset shift, really. So what we are trying to do again with the Eco Group is where the synergy is starting to knit that together. And in doing that, did you know for you personally, and going back again to your humble beginnings there in North Wales with the the extended large family, your mother ringing in your ears about you know look out for those who have got less than you. Does you know is Denise tiring? Do you think oh I can't be doing this anymore? <laughs> you know someone else can sort out EDI or is that still? Do you still think no the root and the values you were brought up with as a young woman? still mean that you want to champion the work of the TG group, for argument's sake, the work of actually just you in your own right saying to your friends and colleagues, we have got to get this diversity and this cultural shift happening. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because the belief and the drive to, to wanting to make a better world doesn't go. What happens is your energy diminishes. So I've definitely got less energy at 53 than I had at 43. <laughs> But, but I think what, what, what now I'm actually more, um, more conscious of my energy levels and my more about efficient use of time. And I know you and I were just talking about rest and how we've discovered that napping is actually really good about improving your productivity. So, um, and actually I've just bought the team a book called Rest, but more an individual copy so they can all see how rest increases um, productivity and their creativity. So, I don't think it'll, it'll stop. And I think, you no, know, I would all, I will always be involved in this. And, and to be fair, what I want to do, Nikki, is to see where I can have a greater impact because uh, I see now, you know, when I look at net zero, I look at diversity, I look at innovation, and there is, we're still really at the, um, at the early stages of everything. And so we need to, but we, we, but we need to evolve at a faster pace. So it is about how do we how do we do this faster? And so in the same way, David Attenborough has done it for, you know, with Blue Planet on plastic. So he he saw a great shift, didn't he? In, in, um, in it was a great catalyst for a fast shift on plastic. In the same way, BLM will have the same sort of catalytic impact on moving the whole equality uh, debate forward, you know. So I, I really hope that that this year, you know, 2020 will say, well, this happened with COVID, but all these positive things. So when we get to 2025, we'll say, wow, look at the change that was achieved in this last five years. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Denise. Thank you so much for being on Representation Matters, the TEG podcast. Um, I say this to all my guests, describe yourself in three words. Okay. Um, I'd say optimistic, ultimately pragmatic, and energetic. Great. In light of the previous things you were saying to me, I'm glad you said you're energetic. Considering <laughs> the, uh, the, the lovely season that we're in, in terms of our lives. Um, and just finally, again, something I say to everybody, but what would you like as your legacy? What would you want to leave behind? 
I like to see that we've made a sustainable difference for the better. Well, well thank you for that. Denise Matthew, much appreciated. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks so much for listening today. Wherever you're tuning in from, we'd love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add? Let us know using the hashtag TEGpodcast on Twitter. Or you can reach out to us anytime via contact at theequalgroup.com. And in the meantime, head over to our website, theequalgroup.com, for more insights, articles and interviews about equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And if you are serious about making this the year for more effective EDI, we are here for you. Get in touch with us to find out how our EDI audit could benefit your company. We want to help you to identify areas where you can make sustainable improvements to your EDI. The EDI audit will guide your organisation on how to allocate your resources and what strategies to implement so you can begin seeing the benefits of effective EDI. Benefits such as increasing staff well-being, improved innovation, better productivity and higher turnover, just to name a few. Our EDI audit is the very first step to embracing equality, diversity and inclusion in your organisation. Why not join our mailing list to be the first to get updates on EDI news and practical solutions? Finally, to stay tuned for more podcast interviews coming soon, make sure you're following us on Twitter at The Equal Group. Until next time, everyone.